0: Welcome back to the Truth That Heals podcast. Today, I have special guest, Twana Lawler. Twana, how are you doing?
1: I'm good. How about you, sir?
0: I'm I'm feeling great. It's very hot here in Texas where I'm at, uh, but all the more. Even though it's hot, I'm just so happy to have you as a guest. Welcome to the show. I'm happy to be here. Thank you. Well, I recently uh, discovered you online and... I saw in your bio, your story, and I don't want to reveal everything uh, right away, um, but in your story, you know, reading your your bio, it says that you're a poet, you're a movie writer, also um, that you are a motivational speaker. Mm-hmm. And I see all of these positive things, these uh, constructive, creative things that you're doing, However, as I was reading more of your bio, I also saw that before you were doing these projects, there were a lot of dark moments in your life. Uh, and one of them was, I think, that one of the first episodes of darkness that you mentioned in your biography was the the demise of your father. Uh, but before we get into that, I was wondering if you can... Share with the audience, share with the podcast, what was life like before the demise of your father? Wow, beautiful. Before the demise of
1: my father, it, you know, we were a family. My mother, my father, I have three brothers. I'm the oldest and the only girl. So I was four. <laughs> before I was the apple of his ass. Now, uh You know, we went on trips, family trips and everything with the church. did everything, prayed ate at the dinner table together. He would talk to us. He was a good father. He would talk to us and ask us how our day went. And he was the one who would cook. And he was the one who did a whole lot more. My mother would be at work and my father worked during the day. She worked second shift. And so she would be at work and he worked during the day. So he was home with us after we got out of school and stuff. So we was able to spend more time with him. And then he just did more stuff. Like when they both was out, he initiated us doing going to the driving theater. Cause they don't have those now. But back in the day, when the going, especially when you go as a family and get that bucket of KFC and that's what we used to do, get the KFC and go to the drive-in, just had a good time. And uh I could I sensed him getting depressed. I had noticed cause he was just sleeping a lot, but I didn't know what was going on in their life. Because, you know, they didn't never let us know. Our family I you know we was kids, so we should know anyway, but our family uh didn't know how to communicate. So and when you don't have communication, it's it's a broken family. And like, I don't know if they grew up uh, that way, like not knowing how to hug people and say "I love you." They just think that both of him and my mother think that "bang" things. It, and I had got so they bought me so much stuff. I didn't care nothing about them. Like now, I don't care about materialistic things for that fact because I always got what I wanted. Yeah, when he went, but they would go away. Uh, be above and beyond for the children, 504 of us. Had us dressed at night all the time and everything. And then one day my mother came in my room and said she was leaving my dad. And when she said that, it kind of threw me because I never, ever seen that coming. I never seen Oregon. I never seen, you know, I knew they was having issues because they both were cheaters. And that I, that's why I do not cheat. I do not condone people cheating. I just not. I don't do that because I see the damage that it causes. And that was the issue, the cheating part. And and she left him and co- convinced us to go with. Because I didn't really didn't want to. Because I was I love my mom, and but I was closer to my dad than I was with my mom. He talked to me about life. She never did ever ever so, but he did. And so and I just wanted to be with him. And so uh, we, when I woke up the weekend after we moved in and came out of my bedroom, it was a man walking out of her room with a robe on. And uh, I didn't know who this man was, but he was the man that was helping us move in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I thought, I thought he was the mover. <laughs> so I asked my brother, I said, why is the mover coming out of mom's room with a robe on? And he told me that was her boyfriend. So I said, I'm going back home. So they said, we going too. So, because I don't know that stranger and I am confused because I'm like, I'm 12 and I'm shaped like an 18 year old, like a 12 years old. So how would you bring a grown man around your 12 year old daughter? I didn't understand that because I would never do that, would never do that because you can't trust people. Now, he wasn't trustable. He was a creep and I didn't like him. And because of that, and I was never going to like him because a c- couple of days later, uh, we was going to see our dad again to let him know we hadn't told her yet that we wanted to move in with him. Cause we had to wait till a weekend because she was out. And when we was walking down the street, a cousin pulled up one on um, our father's side. He uh pulled up the brakes were screeching and everything real fast. And he told us hurry up and jump in the car. And we was like, wow, we just want to see our father. He said, no, we'll just jump in the car, jump in the car. So we jumped in the car. Everybody was quiet all the way. And my, bro- me and my brother kind of sensed something wasn't right. Because, you know, you can kind of feel it in the atmosphere, the air and stuff. It just didn't feel right. So we didn't, we was kind of confused. So we pulled up in the hospital. We go in the hospital. And my mother was sitting there and there was some other family members sitting in there. And they all crying, looking sad. And said, we still don't know what's going on. And then it was our mother walked up to us and said, Our father shot himself in the head. But he was still alive at that point. And she told my, uh, then the doctor came out and talked to her. And she told my cousin, take us over our aunt, back over our aunt's house. And we were sitting over there waiting on her to call the phone. And my aunt ran in the living room to get it. We was all sitting in his family room. And uh, she just started screaming and fell to the ground and started screaming. And we knew then, and me and my brothers just started busting that crap because we knew he was gone. And that's when they said he had died and I was 13, and I became, after that, I just, we never got to counseling, so we grew up dysfunctional, we grew up, like, I'm having babies, I got married, I'm in a domestic violence relationship, you know, because I'm not knowing what I'm doing, you know, I'm a kid, and my mother didn't know how to talk to me, she didn't get us counseling, she didn't care, for real, but she loved us, but she just, she, my mother had me when she was 19, and I think, now looking back, there was a generation of curses because I had my first daughter when I was 15. They married her dead when I was 16. We wasn't even married that long because he was an abuser. He was beating me and everything. So it, I, I'm telling you, I've been through a lot, a lot. And to go and I tell my grandkids, they know what I've been through and everything because I tell people what I've been through. Because I don't want to see other people going through that, especially women, going through what I went through. So because it's, been, it's too much. And for one person go through this, and I never picked up a crack pipe. I never did drugs. But what I did do was pick up a beer bottle. That's what oh. I and I was drinking all time. I became a beer holic. That's what I would say. I'm a beer holic. I'm not an alcoholic because I didn't drink like whiskey, wine. I just drank beer. <laughs> and it had to be malt liquor because get. that's what got you drunk. And you know why I was doing it? Because it erased a lot of stuff. So I thought out of my mind. That's what I thought. That it was racing that stuff out. But once the high goes down, and then memories come back. It, it's not a good feeling. It's not a good feeling. And you know, I end up changing my life because I just went through so much. And I was like, oh, you know, it, it got to the point. Everybody was like, are you tired? And I was telling them, yeah. I told my daughter, I'm done. I, I'm done a fighting. I got done. I was done because I had them kids young. And then I had to raise my grandkids. I'm like, is my life ever going to change? I had to raise them for 10 years. The youngest was three months old when I got her, and uh, my daughter turned on me. She turned on me, called me all kind of bs and h o's, and uh, I'm tell everything under the sun. Said when I die, she's gonna spit on my grave. That stuck in my mind, it just it's hard to get away, it's hard to raise that because that like it's it's like dig deep, deep. You know, you my yeah. child, you my daughter. About you in this world, I love you. Obviously, I I love you. I'm raising your your children. Those are not my kids. Mm -hmm. And my daughter had went off to college. My youngest daughter. So now I'm like, I'm free. I go serve the Lord. Guess what happened? I had to get one, two, three, four little small kids from ten months old to six years old. They've been through abuse. They've been burned with lights. They've been locked in the room. They've been through all this stuff. One of them had hand, mouth, and foot disease. So I had to compile all this stuff. Get these kids, get them together, had to get them in school. One of them had to have like 18 shots because she had never been to have shots. She mm-hmm. had 18 shots. And, uh, just so much. was just so much on me. And I never had a nervous breakdown. Never got depressed. Never. I was, I don't mind helping people. You know, I got a good heart, but sometimes mm-hmm. some people walk all over it. Mm-hmm. Well, I got pregnant at 14 and I had them at 15. End up marrying him at 16. Mm-hmm. The day when we got married, as soon as we walked in the house and he closed that door, he smacked me. And I said, what you smack me for? And he said, I was looking at his brother. Wasn't attracted to his brother at all. I didn't find nothing sexy about his brother. Didn't find nothing uh, excited about him. Nothing. It was his brother. That was my brother-in-law. I don't know why he thought that. And then after that, he said, you got to drop out of school. I was going to graduate. He said, you got to drop out of school because I don't want no boys trying to talk to you. It was all, then he like was in the car. He, uh, I would have to look straight because if I look at the window, say it's a bunch of guys standing out there, he would hit me. He would hit me. So he was like, when you in this car with me, you got to look straight. Then he would lock, take the phones to work with him. He would take the cars and wrap the wire around it. And I'm sitting there. As I'm sitting there watching him do it. And I just be sitting there saying to myself, this is ridiculous. And I was getting, I was so, so getting so sick and tired of it. fighting got worse and worse and worse. And the controlling and, and him just really, really locking me in his house and not let me talk, call my mother, not let me talk to anybody. I couldn't come out of the house unless he was taking me somewhere. We didn't do anything together. You know, once you change your life, you don't want to go back. I like the way I live now better. I like not getting drunk. I like not smoking cigarettes. I like that. I don't. I, when God heard God's voice, that's how I stopped smoking. That's how I stopped smoking and drinking, and became celibate. Was I heard His voice? Never heard His voice before until I cried out to Him this particular day, and I was telling Him, I was being honest. I tell people all the time, you got to be honest with the Lord. And I told him, I said, I know I'm a heathen. I call myself a heathen. I said I got nerves, asking you to take this pain away. I had just had a hysterectomy. That's what was wrong, and I was in this pain. And I had been feeling different. Uh, how you gonna sit there and be current? You call yourself being a, a true woman of God, but you still doing the same worldly stuff. You still going to the club, drinking and stuff. And so that, and thats what I told him I was doing. So I wasn't fake, I wasn't gonna lie about it. I said, this is what I'm doing. I'm a heathen. I'm grabbing a car with praying hands, but yet after church, I'm going to the most psycho like club drinking beer and smoking cigarettes. And uh you know, then he spoke to him. And I think that's why he spoke to me. It was like he whispered in my ear because I heard the whisper and everything. And he said, You're gonna be everything's gonna be okay, everything's gonna be all right. And the pain went away. And when the pain went away, that's when I went to uh my desk and started writing those poems. And I've been doing it ever since. And it was in 2000. And when that happened, were you still with your first husband? Heck no. Uh-uh. When he had came home from work in his little nasty mood, I don't know, because he would fight me for no reason too. He would just fight me just to be fighting. So, and it should never be a reason to fight a woman, period. So, he you know, should never hit a woman. And he kept doing it he kept doing it. So, what did he think was going to happen? Cause he wasn't trying to get help, he wasn't trying to get counseling, and I didn't want a divorce, but I didn't love him no more. Once he could, you you don't beat the love out of him, you know what I'm saying? You you didn't buy food, he didn't do anything. We kept we have to move from place to place because he wasn't paying the, the you know the rent and stuff. Uh, because he's busy smoking marijuana all the time, he would rather get a bag of marijuana than buy some bread for the house. So then this type of person he still had a young man, and uh, and then he wanted to fight and stuff. So, uh, he. this one particular day, he started fighting me in front of my daughters. So that was a no-no. So in front of my daughters, they were screaming and hollering. So I tried to run upstairs. When I got to the top of the stairs, he ran up behind me and uh, grabbed me. And then he started cussing me out. He pushed me. So I fell down the stairs. And when I was at the end of the stairs, bottom of the stairs, I thought he was going to come apologize and say, let me help you up. He didn't mean to do that. No. That's what he started doing. He started kicking me with steel toe boots on. He had on no steel toe boots, his work boots. He started just kicking me while I'm on the ground. And that that was the last straw. I said, when he go to work, I'm leaving. And that's what I did. I called my mom. She was so happy. Because she been begging me to leave him. She had been begging because he was not like pride right up here, for real. Mm-hmm. We went had to move in with her because he didn't pay the rent and we was getting evicted. And uh. We were staying in her basement, and he wanted me to do something, and I told him no, and he got mad. and said he was going to kill himself. See, he was using what half my father did. He was taking it, and he kept using it, and that's how he lost me, because don't do that. It, and he was doing that, thinking I wasn't seeing what he was doing. I'm going to kill myself, knowing my father killed himself. So he went behind the garage, and we did. my mother moved us in a neighborhood. We was the only black family in, in the whole city. It was called Shavley in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, now it's mixed now, but then we was the only black family boy, some white people didn't like that. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> they did not. Uh, we didn't deal with a whole lot of racism, but we did deal with racism. KKK member, for real. He came right past the house. I'm holding my baby, walking to the door, and I just heard this loud banging thing, and I heard something hit the house. But my mother's house is stoned. It's mm-hmm. stoned, so... They hit the house. It didn't damage anything. It just bounced right back off. him. Of he shot at the house three times. He, got, Well, obviously wasn't a good shooter because mm-hmm. he was trying to shoot through the house, but he never got, because she had a big old uh, picture size window. He never hit the window. He never hit that. He hit above it, below it, beside it, but he probably was trying to reach it because he wanted to hit somebody because he was out at the neighborhood. And that's what he said, get out of our neighborhood and then said the n-word and mm-hmm. skid on off. And my mother got in her car before she gave her life to God. And she was her gun and went chasing and found out where he lived and got him locked up and found out he was KKK man. But he stayed locked up for about an hour. An but he hour? didn't bother us. Yeah. Yeah. It's in Louisville, Kentucky. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Louisville, Kentucky.
0: That's oh. Mitch McConnell's song. So <laughs> you see what I'm saying? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> And how long did you live with your mother? I mean, after after you left your husband, you said you went to go live with your mother. Uh, after no, no, that, no, 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 no. Oh, oh I you didn't go live, no. oh, you live. Oh, you live with her. You just went to no. you
1: went to. When I when I was married to my husband, when I left my mother, uh, my goal was to stay away. Oh, you just say
0: you stayed away, like yeah. Away.
1: It, the only reason we because I needed her because he didn't have nowhere to take us.
0: And Ooh, I guess to come
1: stay. She said, "Yeah, but uh, but I have not been back a lot of time. Mom let us all come back. Okay. We all done been overstanding with it in and out. Let's for the family members. Okay. She'll cry and, and and yell and moan and stuff like she have been labeled. But this this <laughs> should change up, man. You know, cause we know she had a good heart. So you know, she's alive. But my brother okay. got her. Okay. He, he that's another long story.
0: So okay." so after you left your first husband uh is, is that one you chose to live a life of celibacy, or did more than no. more happen? More kept happening, oh more, more kept, kept happening,
1: happening. Yeah. oh yeah, it got worse and worse, yeah, my family's so dysfunctional and it, it it was real hurtful, and it sent me through a depression, and I had a nervous breakdown when I went there it was not last time, it was time before then, but before I tell you about that, I'll finish telling you about what happened after the husband. They kidnapped my kids. They what? So did, they kidnapped my kids, him and his family. Okay. Wouldn't let me talk to them or nothing. And then when I called the police, and the sister-in-law knew, see, they knew the rules. I was young. I mm-hmm. didn't know the law and all that because I never had to deal with the law. They did, so they knew the law. And so uh, there was just a family I shouldn't have never, you know what I'm saying? I sh- We was like uh, opposites opposite everybody i meet i want to meet somebody that i'm um, like you know uh, uh compatible with and we're not opposites so uh i always meet opposite people now opposite people think op- opposite than what i think because i think good mm-hmm. and they think bad like my husband but he, he always was thinking bad to steal my kids that's thinking bad that's that's evil and that devastated me. And it that you know, still mourning my father, still not healed from that because I didn't get the therapy that I needed. Mm-hmm. And then got these kids, so I had to worry about them. But when before I got there, I just had uh I had the third baby. That's the the, the daughter, the third daughter. I had her. And that's why they had the kids. Because yeah, because I Left him didn't mean I left my, my in-laws. That's what they didn't understand. I didn't divorce y'all. I wasn't divorcing y'all because I wasn't married to y'all. Y'all didn't y'all didn't beat me, but uh, but you sure didn't put babies in. He didn't do yeah. that. He did. Y'all didn't, and they was the one who wanted to take him. He had some do with it, but he was sitting in the background because he wasn't about to take care of nobody. He didn't take care when we was together, so he sure was going to take care of what together. So he wasn't. He just wanted to hurt me. They knew that was going to hurt. The way to hurt her is through her kids. They knew it was going to hurt, and it did. It devastated me, but I said I'm going to fight, and I fought, and I won. And I got permanent custody. Yeah, I got permanent custody, and I got a divorce. So all in the same time, I was divorcing him. uh, The the police helped me. The white policeman, he was real nice. I should have took his name. He was real nice. He helped me. He gave me a cord. He said, look, call my friend. Uh, tell me you want to get a divorce, and he. I called his friend, and friend did the divorce for uh, me for free, for free. Yeah, so that was a blessing. I forgave him. I forgave him, and you know we became really close. We really did because I loved my ex mother in law, and all my in laws. They love me. I got married a second time. My in all love me, but the husbands are full of crap. They don't know how to love. You know, they love you, but they don't know how to show love. I and mean, when you don't show love, you're not going to be in a relationship
0: for very long. You know, you're been be in a short-term relationship. In your experiences with men, was there a point where you decided, you know what, I'm going to hate men, and therefore I'm going to be celibate? Or was your celibacy uh, was it out of hatred, or was it just out of a healing for yourself? Uh, just healing for was... myself. Healing for yourself. Second, You Yeah, what you said, healing for myself. It, it was for me. It wasn't for, because
1: you know, I don't hate men. I don't hate men. It's just I kept meeting the wrong one. So that's okay. now that's why I'm like, before I make sure that this person is the right person for me and that we're compatible. Because most of them, we weren't compatible. But if if he's a good guy, you know, and that's what you got to look at with the heart. And uh, that's what I tend to not look at ever, but I do now. I just don't date because, you know, guys try to talk to me. I just don't want to right now. Okay. I want nobody bothering me. I like my peace and my quiet. I'm for real. It irks me. Like if I hear a lot of noise, it irks me. Because, I, you know, I like to sit and write. And I listen to music when I'm writing. I listen to music. It don't bother me because it's my gospel music. So I listen to music. I'm not writing gospel songs. So it gives me a little, you know, a little, little nugget. When, I, you know, when I'm writing. So that's why I like to sit when I'm writing. I like to listen to music because it it helps me. And then I talk to Jesus too. But anyway, the guy the third, well he used to say he was my second. Because Lon was my first. That's the one I married. Now I ain't married that second guy. I would never marry him. But uh, this man was like <sighs> it's hard to explain. When uh, I moved into his mother's apartment he was going out every weekend. I didn't know he was a drug addict. I didn't know people shot up drugs. See, I was still naive mm. because I, I was a good girl. Mm-hmm. But with a bad guy. See, that's why I just kept, I was a good girl with these bad guys. So uh uh I started noticing something just wasn't right. And then one day I walked in the room and him and his cousin was in there, and I was asking him something because I was making some fresh greens. And, uh, he could cook real good, and I was asking him a question about like some ingredients or something, and he said when he I walked in, he had a needle in his arm. But I didn't know people shot of drugs because I never was around stuff like that. So I thought he it was medicine. That's what I was assuming. So he should have just let me think that.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> but but now he cuts me out. He called me a b. Called me B word. Said I'm well, I'm gonna get you when I get out. He said get the H E W L out and I got some to say to you when I get out. And that's when he called me the B word. Mm-hmm. And uh, then he got out. He he had never hit me, and he said he would never hit me because he knew that my ex husband was doing it. And what he do? He hit me, and he continued to hit me. He continued to hit me. And not then I ended up getting my own place. He moved in with me. He was doing good for a while. And we were kept kinda of happy. I got bought a car from one of his friends. I, I didn't know him and his friend had been messing with each other. The friend was a white guy and they and he's he was gay. And uh they uh I you know he ended up telling me that they were messing around, but the reason he told me. He wasn't telling me to get him in trouble or to hurt me or anything. He was telling me to help me. So that's what made me start really getting into it because I started seeing like the more I changed my life, the better things were starting to look. And, you know, it was looking like that, but it just was never, ever, uh, no fruit was ever coming from it. Like uh, I was always getting sad. So stuff kept happening to me back to back. I ended up getting pregnant, not wanting no more kids. And i get pregnant and had a son. Oh, that's why I was with George, but it wasn't by George. Yeah, the drug addict probably couldn't even have no more kids. But that was, Shell is his daughter. Uh, and that's his only child. But uh, and that's the drug addict. So he was beating me and he was on drugs. And then I got to put him out. I ended up putting him out. 'Cause I was gonna beat my brother, said beat him with the skillet. It was a skillet sitting on my stove. He said, if he tried to hit you again, just beat him with the skillet. Finally he had to beat him. I just hit swing it at him. He got scared and he stopped fighting me. And, I, and then I just said I told him he I gave him enough time to leave. I gave him like thirty days. I said, You gotta pack your stuff and leave. And we're done. Mm-hmm. And uh, cause that's what you want. Cause if you hitting me, you don't want to be with me. If you think I'm your punching bag, and you know where I came from, what my ex husband was doing to me, and he was there when I had to fight them through court and everything. How I was crying every night. I missed my daughter so bad. You know, it was driving me crazy. And he seen all of that and was still stealing from me. He, he stole floor model color TV and everything, and sold it for drugs. <laughs> and, and I, and I I had to get rid of him. I said I can't do this, and then he just went and started lying on me and talking about me like a dog, as if I cared Cause people yeah. gonna talk about you, but uh, why would you do that? And you know I ain't do nothing to you, so why would you do that? You did it to me, It was like my ex-husband did. So you did the same thing he did, and promised that you wasn't gonna do that, and turned around did. Even he did worse though, cause. My ex-husband didn't steal from me, but he stole from me. He stole more than just TV and, and uh that car, but it's also expensive stuff. That's bad enough, you know, to steal something that expensive. I it's hard for me to get that stuff back.
0: And he wasn't gonna buy it for me. So Was there a moment where where you were able to establish more positive relationships? And if so, like uh when did that start? When I gave my life to the Lord and when I lived
1: in California. You know, I, yeah. I, uh, when I lived in California, uh, I lived different. I went to church there, me and my daughter, Tanya. We went to church faithfully. We got the kid, kids in uh, uh, church, you know, they were the kids church and we know we loved it, and, and I think a lot, a lot of times when you meet people, I think they can sense like when you've been through stuff, you ain't got to tell them, and they they like people just kind of like. And I think they tell me they a lot of people like me because of my personality, uh, because uh, I they say I got a good personality. I try, <laughs> I I try, cause sometimes I feel like want to go off. Sometimes for real, I just like cause sometimes I just be like like so sick and tired of like life, like what I've been through and not going to come back up sometimes. So that's why I'm going to therapy now because like you I'll be like, please race out of my mind or race out of my mind like all these dark thoughts of the past stuff I've been through. Like I end dating again. Uh after all this stuff because I'm really I'm not ready to date yet. Until until it's time, it's you know, don't want to rush into nothing or anything, and that's why I'm not dating now because I just don't want to rush into anything because I truly don't want another ex husband. Mm
0: -hmm. And Uh, like 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 you said earlier, you want to make sure that you're compatible with the person, and you're not just dating with anybody. You just
1: exactly like I was doing. Like I was doing, cause that's what I was doing. I was just like anybody say, I like you, Twa. I think you pretty, and I'm like okay. Yeah. And I'm like all for it. yeah, mm-hmm. cause you my good at that, and I'm all for that. But now I'm not. <laughs> now I'm not, cause I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear, it, cause I know now because no, once you get you start, you start getting older you get seasoned, you get wiser and get I'm wise. a lot wiser and this is why I tell my daughters I'm a lot wiser not only am I born again Christian but I'm wiser I would never go through what I've been through and I don't and I was just want like I'm a motivation speaker I became a motivation speaker because I was dying and that my daughters no one told me you need to share your story mama they say you need to share your story because when I found out I had HIV, that was the best problem for me, because then I'd have, been, they, I'd have been through all this stuff, and after that rape, I had it, I had my little boy, Taiwan, he, he was still born. But then I had you know having a two pregnancy, and they told me, for me to get pregnant, it was going to be like, the chance was going to be very, very very slim, very slim, and then I didn't get pregnant for a long time, and I ended up getting pregnant with my fourth daughter, It's my youngest daughter, Danielle, and uh, after that, and on the head, they took out the tube and their ovary. So only had one, two, one over So I said, just I told him, I said, just tie it one, two, because I, I cut it, do something Because obviously, I can have babies. And, and when I got pregnant, I didn't want to have no baby with this guy, which is somebody I was dealing with. I didn't want to have a relationship with him. And I see why now because I end, he ended up being on drugs. He's on drugs now. He keep going back and forth playing with my daughter and stuff. That's why I ain't got time for all that. But uh, you know, it's just all the stuff I've been through, and it's just compounded stuff. And then when I got to found out, because I'm walking around for ten years with HIV and my body had no clue because I wouldn't have no any symptoms. But but I was celibate, so thank God I was celibate mm-hmm. and I didn't give it to anybody. So I never gave it to anybody at all. So I, uh, they gave stuff to me. I ain't never gave nobody a disease. But uh, when I found, the reason and how I found that out, because when I was in L.A. County, I started getting sick. Now, all these years, I wasn't really getting sick. Like, I would get sick for a couple of days, wasn't feeling well, didn't feel like getting out of the bed. It go away. I'm okay. And I'm up in, in the car driving and stuff. And I started getting dizzy while I was driving and driving off the road. One time, and then that's when my daughters took the keys and said, uh, "I need to go to the ID clinic." I didn't want to go because I didn't want to hear that word HIV anymore. I just didn't because I was not accepting that. I went into a deep denial when I found out that when the doc- I went to a, a, a doctor in Northern California, kind of across the Costa County, uh, as I went there, and uh she said, "Yo," because uh, we end up moving, and she said. Uh, your symptoms sound like HIV. And I said, I know I ain't got that because I'm celibate. I And then she said, How long have you been celibate? I said, 10 years. She said, it doesn't matter. And I still didn't know what she was talking about, but it could be in your body for 10 years without symptoms. So everything I've been through or as far as that disease, I met each when you open up and read the symptoms, I had each one AIDS, each symptom. I had the fever, the temperature, the diarrhea. I had all of that. I felt horrible. i stopped and to tell you why I stopped taking that medicine. I only had to take one pill. The fact that I had HIV. The fact that this doctor said I had HIV when I'm not out here sleeping around with anybody. And I, I'm like, no, who was I with? Because it had been so long that who could have gave it to me? And that's my daughter said. I have faith. About that, no good. To... I said, Oh, yeah, because he was the one when I was telling because I was selling. I, I had that's my head, I was a born baby Christian. He knew it, he took advantage of He knew it. I was naive, and you know, the ma- ministers and prophets were telling me I was gonna marry a, a minister and all this. So the guys said he's a minister, and I wrote my first book called uh, From Darkness into His Marvelous Light, and that's why I was promoting on his site. And he was on this particular site. I think it's called Black Planet or something. Uh, it's not a dating site because I didn't get on dating sites. It's not a dating site. But I don't know what it was called because it was Black Planet. I haven't been on there since. After that, after I met him, I didn't go back anymore. But uh, we end up talking and we talked for like nine months. He was like, I love you. I want to marry you and blah, blah, blah. And uh, he said, meet me in Memphis because he lived in, I think, South Carolina. And he said, meet me in me and Memphis, and, uh, we're going to spend a weekend together. And I, know I did, and the weekend uh, was very, re- re- very nice, very nice. But then he couldn't wait till that Sunday came, because that Sunday I was due to fly out, which I still did fly out, come, go home, because I was ready to go home, I was ready to get away from it. But uh, he kept on coercing me and begging me to give him sex. And I, kept, I was reluctant. I kept saying, no, no, I'm celibate. And I, and I didn't tell him I had a hysterectomy and that I had I already had HIV tested and all that. I didn't tell him that it was, I didn't have anything. And uh, uh, he also, I was like, okay, but you got to have a condom. I said, you got a condom? He said, yeah. So he's acting like he's putting his condom on. So I'm just, I'm not, not wanting to do anything. So I'm just laying in the bed on my back and I'm like, oh God, I just want to get it over with because he's telling me he loves me. I still want to marry you. He's telling me all this stuff. So I'm looking at him, I have a glance over at him and he's acting like he's opened up a pack of condoms and acting like he's putting it on. So when he got done and got off of me, I'm looking, I'm like, where's the condom at? Because he didn't have one on. So I went to the bathroom and I'm trying to look and see if it came up, fell off in me or something. I said, he didn't put no condom on while he sit there and play like he put one on. So when I got home, I told my daughter, Tanya, I, told, I said, Tanya, I think, I said, I was a dummy and slept with him. And I said, nah, I think that he gave me something. Ten years later, he gave me something. The HIV. Three years after that, because I wanted to die after that, I was like, I'm done. I, I said, I'm done. I don't care. And I was raising my grandkids and everything and living in California. And uh, I just wanted to die. You know, I just, you know, I just been through a lot. Like the date rape. That's why I want to say something about that. That guy, me and that guy was dating. And uh, he just asked me one day, he said, will not you come over and uh, sit with me and whatever. I can't think of the guy's name. And uh, I said, okay. So I went over there and I was sitting and we was drinking beer and talking like they hit on a game or something. And uh, uh, we was having good conversation, but then the guy kept on saying, can I take you out? I want to I wanna be, with... but he knew I was in a relationship with this other guy, his friend or his relative, whoever he was, 12 months, I can't quite remember. And uh, he wasn't saying anything. I was wondering why that guy wasn't saying anything. But they was in, you know, they was in cahoots. So I had to go to the bathroom, and when I came back, I was. Uh, they kept telling me drink this, finish up this beer because it was more. But I, uh, I started drinking it, and I started getting tired real quick. And it was like finish it up, and I was telling him I'm getting tired. So he was like, "Go back there and lay down, take your clothes off." But I didn't take my clothes off. But I woke up, and my clothes was off. Nothing was on. In fact, he? He knew what i had been through. And when he did that, it triggered something. And I had a nervous breakdown. And uh, I seen when I was having a breakdown, I seen the guy having sex with me. So, and I needed to see that to, because I just knew it. And for him to let that guy do that, it just goes to show how dirty that this guy was to even do that and allow somebody else to help him do it. And not only that, y'all could have kept, y'all drugged it. Y'all, they, they drug me. They put something in their beer. That's why they kept telling me to drink it. Because mm-hmm. they kept off saying, drink your beer, drink it. And they never done that before. And I thought that was weird. And it was odd. But I never thought nothing negative. I didn't think that he would do something like that. And that devastated me. And for years, it bothered me. And that's why I had that nervous breakdown. Because, now it's been years ago. But for some reason, it's, I think because I don't remember it all. And, but then I don't care to remember. Now I, then I know that they got to me. and and that's when my daughter was like you need to start sharing your story
0: it's good to see you sharing your story and of course you know there's a lot of sadness but at the same time you're not allowing that darkness that past to keep you from sharing Mm -hmm. your light and even you know you're sharing your faith Um, so I want to ask where can people find more information about about you, about the things that you're doing, and about the uh, the books and uh, movies that you're you're currently working on.
1: Oh yeah, then go to my website
0: because my website has it all on there. They have
1: some of the books I read, and like, the children's book, and then the uh, From Dorcas into His Marvels, like that's a, a fiction. That's uh, not. Uh, I don't write like religious stuff because I'm not religious. I, I don't write like spiritual stuff. It's just I throw God in there. Okay. sometimes I sneak them in some of the stuff okay. you know what I'm saying some stuff is, is is I'm writing I'm like I'm saying I'm writing this for Jesus but mm-hmm. most of the stuff I write stuff that like I wrote a play love have bad chance but that's a gospel stage play but mm-hmm. you know it it goes a little out with real religious people but I'm not catering to them because <laughs> I'm not religious okay. so I'm not catering to them but if they want to enjoy my stuff I would love for them to go to my website well and it has on the it has on my press release. It has on about me having AIDS, been an AIDS survivor. I don't have AIDS anymore, so let's get that straight. Okay. I have HIV now, so the AIDS converted back to HIV because it was a miracle. Mm-hmm. But that's what the doctor said. But I said it was Jesus. That's what I said. It was Jesus because who else could save you when the doctors can you that? The doctors counted me out That gave me two weeks to live and told my daughter, do- I was in a wheelchair, weighed 98 pounds and everything, told my daughters I had two weeks to live. They told them to put me in hospice. My daughter said, no, I'm not put them in my hospice. My, mother, my mother's uh, uh, faith is too strong. And they put me in hospice. And I, I'm grateful for that. And I'm thankful. And uh, but, and they they kept on making sure and they, talking to me and praying with me and telling to come and read the Bible. To, I, I got Better and because they, they knew I was gonna, gonna get better because I never ever been like a quitter or I give up. Mm-hmm. I on this I did, I wanted to give up, but I didn't give up. I didn't give up mm-hmm. because I got them daughters, and that's when you get a disease. And that's what people I tell people all the time make sure somebody confide in a family member
0: because
1: mm-hmm. you I always think people think I don't want to tell my family because they embarrass me. But some families will embrace you. Mm-hmm. My I didn't think my, my mother's religious. I'm like I said, I'm spiritual, but she's religious. So I didn't want her to know because she's gonna say the devil did it. She's gonna say, Don't take the medicine, because that's the devil's medicine. And that's what she did, exactly what I thought she was gonna do. And that's what she did, and I would have been dead because she wanted me to come there. And my daughter kept saying, Won't you go stay? And I'm like, No, I'm not and not anyone go back to look. So I was like, No. And why? She's telling me stop taking my medicine. I'm ready to take the medicine now. See, then I was ready to take it. I'm ready to live. So why won't go somewhere with somebody, their, their beliefs are you don't take medicine for your illness. Mm-hmm. So, and, and that was the reason why I had AIDS, because I stopped taking that medicine. And I did that on purpose. And that, you know, and that's what people just please don't do that because that's not a good feeling. Oh. I had a dream about heaven. And I went to heaven. Oh, it's beautiful. Beautiful. I didn't want to come back. She comes and you gotta go back. And I said, no. She said, go back. She said, go back. You got a lot of work to do. She said, you got a lot of work to do for God. She said, go back. And that's what she was telling me pretty much. I guess why he kept me alive. And that's why, you know, I'm adamant about speaking and doing this stuff. Because I'm helping people too. And I'm helping people heal. Because people come up to me and say, thank you for sharing your story. And I had to thank my daughters. So, you know what I did by thanking them? I bought them on board. So they were my car dealers. So caregivers need love too. So and mm-hmm. they need to be get more uh uh attention than they get. And so uh i they come in and they they speak for 10 minutes, each one of them, all three of them, they speak for 10, 10, or 15 minutes before I go speak. Mm-hmm. And and then I'll go speak. You're i ovations, All 10 people are like in all back there. They like the dynamics, they like the, oh, all you bring your daughters and stuff, and you did that. But it wasn't my, uh, a ministry did it before. They, they said, let me get your seatbelt. They said, it's okay, bring your daughters up because they be your current Here once they get your back, because they do have my back. And she, she was like, yeah. and I said, yeah. And I was like, it's a good idea to do that. And so I started doing it. And I uh, was uh, speaking regularly for this one uh, person. And I told him, I said, I'm gonna have them come on up before me. I say, gonna always recite a poem too. I always recite a poem, so because you know I want to bless people, and that's when they need they be happy. But a lot of them come up to the first time I spoke. I spoke in Dallas, Texas, at HI a, a, a Women's HIV AIDS conference. It was like almost five hundred women, and uh, oh, they came up to me. Remember, I just said I don't like to be around a lot of crowds, <laughs> but I didn't. I didn't push my way, I ain't panic. I talked to them and I hugged. Them. See that that's positive. So. Yeah. Yeah, so it's positive and I'm helping people and I'm blessing people. So I don't mind a lot of people coming up and saying stuff. and want hugs and I want to talk and tell me. That's what they'll tell me. Like my parents, one lady said her, uh, she he told her parents that she had HIV because they would shun her. So this is what a lot of people go through when they have a disease by family members and people shunning them and stuff. And that's not a good feeling and it seems people mm-hmm. into depression. And that's not good. I wrote a play called Stigma Task and it talks about that. Because stigma, I don't like a stigma. Because what What do you, what, it's, you don't understand, get in my, walk in my shoes for a day. <laughs> oh, like years ago when I was going through all that stuff. I ain't been going through that stuff now. But I, I would, you know, see if I want to see my mom before she leaves this earth, my brother just being nasty.
0: Mm-hmm. I don't
1: know why though. And I just think that's hilarious because, uh, but what, what I'm going to say about my mother before we go, I love my mother to pieces. My mother ended up becoming, because one day I was praying because I was like, I'm tired of my mother. She done broke up my friendship with some of my Christian friends and lied on me. She done turned my brothers against me. My brothers called me and my daughter. Uh, Tanya uh, Fet, B-I-T-C-H just the brother ad I was telling you about it but I love her I forget but that was many years ago I...
0: you mentioned earlier also that you have a website um, what is the website yeah. so the audience can check it out the website is
1: lawler. my name T as in Tom W-A-N-A Lawler L-A-W-L-E-R dot com and on there you'll see like I think I got some poems, a couple of poems. Okay. And then I got like what uh list of everything I've done in the past. And uh all the speaking engagements and everything I've done and all the stuff I've done. Because 'Cause I've done a whole lot. Mm-hmm. And uh then uh they'll see the trellis, the trellis to the, the
0: the movies, the three movies and the gospel stage break. Okay. So I'll I'll leave that in the show notes in case uh okay. they you know, for those in the audience, those who are listening, they want to go check it out. I'll be leaving a link to Twana Lawler's website so you can check that out, check out her poetry. Um, and do you also have motivational talks on on YouTube or on other no, websites? I have some on
1: YouTube, but uh I may just go put a couple on uh you no know, on my site. because uh, I kept saying and I'm going to because I'd have been on other shows too, but now okay. and I need to do that. And uh because you know, help everybody, we help each other. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Because yeah. I, I wanna put you on there and I'm gonna put somebody, another person on there too. that another interview with this guy, Travis. The name of his uh podcast is tell me something something good without the G. So mm-hmm. it's uh it's just okay. the end. Some, okay. some, something. Tell me something <laughs> It says so- something, it's something
0: tell me some good I'll be sharing yeah. all of that with the audience in the show notes and again I just yeah. want to thank you Twana for sharing your story and also for sharing your story not just the negative part but also the part where you shine and you do positive things in this life uh, thank you so much for your ministry you. and for all that you do thank you thank you. and I love being here thank, thank you, you.